Hi there and welcome to LiveWire's Outlook series for 2024. My name's James Marley. And I'm Ali Selby and we've seen a lot of unexpected things happen in 2023. Think Bitcoin rising 160%, Core Lithium falling 70% and Barbie becoming one of the highest grossing films of all time. So in this video, we're asking 12 fund managers to share where they think the market has positioned too far in one way and are baking in an event as a certainty when that just might not be the case. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's around interest rates. Like, uh, throughout this year, I've been saying interest rates would be cut, but now that's really, really consensus and the market is pricing a lot of interest rate cuts next year in 2024. I think that is correct, but not in the short term. So I think the market's probably got a little bit of a head of itself pricing the interest rate cuts. I don't think it will happen as fast as the market expects. So I'd expect an unwinding of that trade in the next three to four months. So sticking with the thematics around bonds, because you know earnings and interest rates are what drives valuations. And I think, as you know, the US 10-year bond and US interest rates are the key to the global markets. And this idea that the Fed's going to cut maybe end of first quarter, definitely by May, June, that's what the market's pricing in, I think it's going to take a bit longer. They, they won't cut until they see inflation come down to two and a half, maybe a bit below that. And that might take a while, but I'm not too worried about that because I think growth will be stronger overall like it has been the last two years. So there's an offset there and that's why I still remain bullish. We'll get there, but not that early. Yeah, so this one, I, I think it's the GLP-1s. I think like what an amazing technology and what an innovation that's taken place here for diabetes patients. But I think what's being extrapolated here is sort of pretty much two companies are going to take it all, you know, there's going to be, there's all this benefit to diabetic patients from, you know, obviously losing weight, there's the benefit of lower, you know, joint pain, there's lower cardiovascular risk. But what we don't know still is what the competitive environment's going to look like. You know, are these guys going to win that whole market or is there going to be new competition? We already know there's new companies and new innovations coming up within that space all the time. We don't know how long people can tolerate being on the drugs. We don't know if payers are going to front up the money to put people that are not diabetic patients on the drugs. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if people will re relapse and then they won't be allowed to have it anymore. So there's, there's really a wide range of outcomes. If we look at companies like um, Novo and Lilly, they're trading on almost triple the multiple of you know, the average healthcare company. So while I think the innovation is amazing, it actually comes back to what's priced in to these stocks. And that's where my seed of doubt comes from. So copper is so essential for decarbonisation and the energy transition in electrification of the economy. And there's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, being spent to do that, get rid of carbon in the atmosphere and get onto electric vehicles and uh, renewable energy. Well, copper is absolutely critical. And because of that thematic, it's very well owned and, and people, I think, are owning it more so than it, they probably should have, like a copper should have been lower, not to say that we don't think will be substantially higher in the future, but riding this muddle through year, I think copper would have gone lower if, if people would, weren't so convinced on that macro thing. 
I think in terms of what's been happening over the last year, we've had a very sort of narrow um, and uneven rally in markets. Um, and you can essentially see this in the way in which some generative AI exposed stocks, names such as Microsoft, you know, Amazon, Nvidia, um, have rallied over the past year. If you look at these companies as a group, you know, they've gone up around 120% over this past year. If you strip those names out, including Apple, you, you see that actually they contributed around 7% to the index performance. So, you know, it's incredible when you think about six to seven stocks really just accounting for, you know, 7% of market performance this year. I think in terms of, you know, the opportunities out there, you know, the, the poster child this year has been, I guess, Nvidia, but I think, you know, when a company is priced to perfection, you know, there's obviously been a lot of momentum there. Um, it's a great company. They make the GPUs out there, which enable AI. We think that there's opportunities beyond that. What is the market pricing in as a sure thing that you think may not actually be the case? If I look at 2023, I think one of the themes was dud deals. You know, you saw Aurora, Aurora with Saverglass, um, market hated it. Treasury with Dow, market hated it. You know, even a few years ago, like CSL with V4, that's shaping up to look like a bit of a dud. EBOS couldn't get away their Green Cross acquisition. So the market's just done with large acquisitions. Now, I think history would suggest that's quite wise. You know, there are a lot of risks and it's a bit of a corporate graveyard, but they're going to get it wrong every now and then. And I think Aurora at the current valuation does look interesting. The work we've done suggests that Saverglass is a pretty decent business and that they've paid a pretty fair price. And I think it's got caught up in this short-term cycle, destocking cycle. You're seeing a lot of luxury spirits brands downgrade, and I think that's really weighing on the stock. So most deals, most large deals, I think you're right to be wary. But in this instance, given the value destruction in that stock, I think the market's pricing in a sure thing when actually, you know, it could very well turn out to be an okay deal. Certainly, it's a soft landing in the US is obviously a, almost a consensus call at the moment. But uh, if you look at, I guess, the steepening of the, of the rate tightening cycle that the Fed's undertaken in the last year or so, it's the steepest since 1979. The last time we saw this sort of steepening of, of the interest rate curve, it was a double dip recession in the US and a, a pretty prolonged economic downturn here as well back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So really mindful that the US may not be the soft landing outcome that everyone likes. And then conversely, China Iron ore is at $130 a tonne. Everyone's sitting back going, how good's that? That is looking pretty good. But if you look at copper prices, lithium prices, other industrial metals, those prices have come right down, which suggests that not everything on the ground in China is progressing as, as well as it could be. And that's obviously a risk for the, the Australian economy. Look, I think one number out there in the consensus that I think is, is wrong is uh, the market's expectation for what's going to happen to credit. Now, we know why central banks raise interest rates when the economy is hot, right? They have to inflict some pain on indebted companies. They have to have some companies fail. They, have people, they, have, they want people to lose their jobs, right? That's, that's what they have to do with that part of the cycle. And all of that is bad for credit. Let me, let me just give you three numbers on this, right, to provide some context. You know, for the last, since 1980, last, what is it, 43 years now, the average write-off level within the Australian major banks has been 37 basis points. That's how much they write off in losses compared to the assets. And now people are saying, well, perhaps it's only you know, 20 to, to 25. But the forecast currently is 11, and 11 basis points only. And look, we've had the biggest rate rises in 30 years. Insolvencies and bankruptcies are going up post-COVID. The ATO has a really long list of enforcement actions they have to take. They have to try and recover $50 billion of uh, tax that's overdue from COVID. And are we really going to end up with credit costs being at the very, very bottom end of the range? 
I think that's not a very safe bet. Look, probably the biggest area of debate is around interest rate cuts. And I think that that's really interesting that everyone seems to be very hopeful that they're coming in the first quarter or the second quarter. We're not so sure that occurs. And I mean, we're again looking from the bottom up at all the time. But I think that idea that the central bank's going to start bailing people out, we're cutting rates and it's back to the races, that looks a bit optimistic to us at this stage. I think the market's priced in now pretty much a soft landing. You know, on, on the inflation side, it's assuming that the Fed won't be raising anymore. The next move in rates will be down. And you've seen a big move in bond rates. Uh, but then on the other side, it's assumed that there will be a soft landing. And sometimes bond rates move because the bond market's anticipating recession. So I think that's probably the biggest risk to, to markets in 2024. The pace of rate cuts. So right now, as we sit here today, the, the US are pricing in five interest rate cuts for 2024. We, we don't see it being that high. We might see, we think, one or two, even three rate cuts next year in the US. And the US has typically moved six to nine months ahead of the Australian economy. So start of this year, people were thinking, we're going into recession. Uh, house prices in Australia will be down 20%. It hasn't played out that way. We've had the soft landing and credit to the RBA for that. But through this cycle and coming out of COVID, the US has consistently been around six months ahead of the Australian economy. And we think that's the case again here. But certainly we, we think that the fundamentals remain strong. For, for the overall economy here and, and also in the US. And so therefore we just don't see the pace of rate cuts that's currently being priced in right now playing out that way. 2023 was a year of two main thematics. So in the first half, everyone went crazy about AI because of the launch of ChatGPT. And in the second half, the market really focused on the GLP-1 drugs, the obesity drugs. And I think that the market has gotten the positive side of that story right. We own Nova Nordisk, which has done incredibly well because of the way that those drugs are going to come to market. But the flip side of that coin are the GLP-1 losers. And a lot of those are healthcare stocks and food and beverage stocks. And the idea of the market is that if you know a certain amount of the population goes on Ozempic, they're never ever going to eat a Frito-Lay or drink a Pepsi again. And I think that that losers of GLP-1 is probably mispriced. So um, Pepsi is a stock that we own in the portfolio, and it hasn't done well since, since Nova Nordisk, the select trials. But if you look at some of the numbers, the impact on Pepsi sales could be like 1% to 3% over many, many years, and the stock is down quite a bit. So I think that there's some mispricing going on in the losers from GLP-1 drugs.